Hey everybody, hope you've had a great week. So today I'm featuring my friend Carrie Gilliard on the podcast. Carrie Gilliard is an alum of Bowie State University and Bowie State University in Maryland is a smaller program. I wanted to make sure that HBCU band programs of all sizes are featured. And when you are a member of a smaller HBCU band program, a lot of times you get to wear a lot of hats. And so that is definitely what Carrie has done. I'm excited to share his story about how he has worn so many hats and juggled so many things at Bowie State and what he's learned from it. So here's my talk with Carrie Gilliard. I am here with my friend Carrie Gilliard, the man of his more many hats. How are you doing? I'm doing great, Christy. It's good to see you. Yeah, it's good to see you too. You know, we haven't been able to see each other as much in the whole pandemic. So, <laughs> um, but I am glad to have you. And so I wanted to, the reason why I wanted to talk to you is because first of all, I want to make sure to profile all different types of HBCU band programs. And with you being affiliated with Bowie State, I wanted to make sure that we covered like some CIAA bands, some smaller bands. And I know that you've worn like lots of hats in that band program. So that's why I wanted to have you on. So I just want to ask you some things about like, you know, how you got started and you, I mean, you're a successful band director now. So We'll get into that a little bit later. All right, so Carrie, why don't you start off by telling me, what's your hometown? I'm originally from Baltimore, Maryland. Your main instrument is sax, correct? Your primary instrument? Yes. Okay, okay, alto sax. Primarily, yeah. Okay, so when did you start playing the sax and why did you why'd you choose that instrument? How did that come about? Well, let's see, it was middle school, seventh grade. I kept walking past the band room over and over again. And my old director, David Burton, shout out to David Burton. I walked past the room many times in November and December of my seventh grade year and said, you know, I should go join band. One of these days, I'm going to step in there and join band. One day, I finally went in and told Mr. Burton, I said, yeah, I want to join band. He said, well, what instrument do you want to play? And I said, like most young boys, I said, I want to play drums. So he gave me a pair of snare sticks, and I started hitting some rhythms out and just playing and looked a little bit awkward as usual like most seventh grade boys do two weeks after that he called me back in said he wanted to talk to me i said okay he said bring your sticks with you i said okay cool so i went back in and he said where your sticks at i said here they are right here and he took them from me and he said i need a saxophone player and gave me a saxophone and gave me a method book (laughs) and i was like wow okay well okay i'll do it and it's been that ever since okay well you obviously must have liked it you you stuck with it all through college and beyond so all right so well tell me about your high school what was your high school like were you core style high step in walbrook was a high stepping style high school um in baltimore city my director uh jacob salisbury the late jacob salisbury shout out to mr salisbury he was also a charter member of the ada gamma chapter morgan state of uh, Kappa Kappa Psi National Honorary Band Fraternity Incorporated. He was actually part, one of the charter members there. He was an honorary member along with Melvin Miles, who's still the director. Mm-hmm. So our school's been high-stepping. It's been high-stepping and it was high-stepping. Um, we played a whole bunch of popular music. And whatever music was popular at the time is generally what we played. It was fun. We were family. That was a big thing right there. We were family to the point where if you needed help, people were there. If you were down, people were there. 
if you were just wanting to hang out and have fun and be silly, people were there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm still good friends with my high school drum major, and he ended up coming down to Bowie and being for a little while my college drum major too. He and I, and many people back during that, from that time period, we're all still very, very, very tight friends on the same level that I've seen some people still be friends with all the people that they went to college with. Salisbury created a family, and one of the things, that whole family aspect of everything was good because it saved me and many other people from potentially getting into trouble. And in some cases, it saved some people from getting into trouble. And around my 10th grade year, and this is part of the, how did you become a band director? Around my 10th grade year, one day sitting after school, I was trying to make up my mind whether I wanted to be an arranger and work for an arranging company, or if I wanted to be a band director, because I liked standing in front of the group and actually teaching music. By my 10th grade year, I was doing arrangements for the band. Oh, really? Yeah, and actually teaching my arrangements. Mr. Salisbury gave me an opportunity and I jumped at it. So what made you want to do that? I'm just curious, like what made you say, you know, hey, I can write that or hey, you know, I can arrange this. That part I cannot exactly trace back to. I remember bits and pieces of things that I did. Prior history, I actually failed ninth grade. I was supposed to graduate in 1990. My freshman year, my original freshman year, was at Baltimore School for the Arts. And I had auditioned, I got accepted, and I learned a lot of music theory stuff while I was down there. And so I do remember my old uh, theory teacher, uh, Carolyn Folks, she taught us how to do some arranging and how to do transposition between instruments. Because I remember in seventh grade, at one point I was like, oh, so the clarinet C sounds like my G. I vaguely remember that one moment where I actually realized that. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. So the fingerings are different and the names and the notes are different, but they kind of sound the same. My ear was also being trained around that time. Mm-hmm whole bunch of little weird things here and there. So yeah, that's that one afternoon uh, after school, I figured out part of it was I wanted to give other students, I wanted to give other kids the opportunity, the same opportunity, the same family and everything that I had the opportunity to get because everybody doesn't have that coming up. Wow. Okay. Okay. So it's 10th grade, you're arranging and teaching music. So your band director just let you get up there and teach the music? Yes. Um, He showed me, he said, okay, you didn't write this part right. You messed up the range on this instrument right here. You need to fix that. You need to fix this. You need to fix the other. And I was like, okay. And I just went on ahead and fixed it and did it. And here we are. (laughs) Wow. I cannot believe that you did not pass the ninth grade. I mean, I I guess I never knew that about you because, you know, we go way back, obviously. Well, here's something else. I was down there. I was a freshman when Tupac and Jada were down there as sophomores. They were theater majors. Did you know them? Yeah. And every freshman boy had a crush on Jada because she was short, cute, light-skinned, and had light brown eyes. Oh, my gosh. You and, are kidding me. <laughs> and Tupac was the dude that if you were standing over in the corner feeling depressed, he would come over and say, what's wrong with you? You all right? And say something or do something funny to make you laugh. So that was him. I believe every word of what you just said. Wow, I totally believe that. (laughs) So you knew when you were arranging and whatnot, you knew that music was the career for you and you were tossed up between what, an arranger and and a band director? What kind of made you figure that out? Well, I knew I liked arranging music. I knew I liked teaching music and hearing people play the music that I wrote, hearing people play the stuff that I wrote down on paper and it was brought to life by the people sitting in front of me and wow 
that was actually a pretty cool feeling. It also, good performances also make the performers feel like, wow, this stuff is actually good and they have a good musical experience. So I wanted to make sure I kept on doing that. But specifically with uh, Walbrook, that whole thing of band is family, that was really ingrained in me, not because Salisbury took it and beat us over the head with it, but just because of the way he treated us and the way he told us and taught us to treat each other. Okay, so, good. So what made you want to go to Bowie State? I mean, because it's right down the road, you know, it's, it's local. And I mean, I, I know about being from a town where HBCU is, so. Okay, so if you're from Baltimore, <laughs> if you're from Baltimore, you either went straight to you either went to Morgan or you went to Coppin. A few of you went to Towson, which is not an HBCU. Right. A lot of you went to CCB, uh, Community College of Baltimore. Mm-hmm. Well, CCBC, excuse me. That's what they call themselves now. And I was like, I don't want to go to Morgan because everybody's going to Morgan and I don't want to go there. I want to be away from school. I want to be away. From, I mean, away from home. I want to be away from my parents. I want to grow up a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and so... In 1989, Clarence Knight came up to a band camp that was happening over at Coppin State University, and he demonstrated some stuff on saxophone, and he was the best saxophone player I had ever heard. Uh, Dr. Clarence Knight is the former, he's still a professor down there, but he's getting close to retirement time soon. He's Gladys Knight's cousin, and sometimes he'll take off a sabbatical and he'll go tour with her. But he ended up being my saxophone instructor in college. Shout out to Dr. Knight. Um, But yeah, his demonstration about what could go on, what actually could happen with saxophone and musicianship, it really impressed me. And I said, okay, I need to look into this Bowie place a little bit more, because up until that time, I had never heard of Bowie. And that's like an hour away, right? 45 minutes, 30 if you drive fast. Okay. Um, (laughs) But yeah, so I got down there and found out that they pretty much had a really small, not not solidly established program and there was something that said you could get down here and help actually build something and right around that time sanders milligan popped up and sanders milligan he's a florida a m grad he also was working he was one of the assistant directors with if you've ever heard of the udc marching firebirds before yes you know i have <laughs> milligan was one of the assistant directors with them and mr myrick all the way back in the 70s into the 80s and Milligan got off on his own, and this was his opportunity. He got hired at Bowie in 91 to be the director, and he promised a whole bunch of us scholarships when we got down there. He gave us grandiose visions of what he was trying to build, and we got down there, and let's just say things were not quite what he promised, yeah, including my scholarship. And uh, But for some reason or another, I still hung around because something about Bowie, I just liked it. Mm-hmm. And... Eventually, at the end of 91, uh, Milligan moved on to Winston-Salem, and he stayed down there till 94. But he was, um, let me see, that actually crosses over into the time when you were at A&T. Mm-hmm. So some of those, so, so yeah, so those Winston-Salem bands you saw were underneath the Milligan. Okay. Um, from 92 forward, 92 to 94. Was it 95 when they got a new director? I think it was 95 they got a new director. But, Yeah. So back on you, tell me about that first camp. You're at Bowie State. Tell me about that first camp. What was it like? It wasn't culture shock, was it? It wasn't completely culture shock. I was expecting some of that stuff, but they weren't as organized back in 91 as they are now, or even as um, other programs were during that time period. Bowie has always been small for the majority of its musical existence. 
Okay. I have historically I've seen pictures of some of the old Bowie ensembles all the way back to 1925 when the director was Charlotte Bronte Robinson, who is also the composer of Bowie's um, alma mater, and she only had about 20 people in that picture. And there was no marching band during that time. In fact, the marching band at Bowie didn't get established until 1978, 79. Oh, wow. That's that's pretty young. Uh, it's very young. Yeah. <laughs> so, so when I got down there, I knew I was going to have a small group. Uh, prior to me getting down there, my high, school band, my high school drum major, Wendell, and a couple of other people I went to high school with, Mr. Milligan was making trips up to Baltimore to recruit some Baltimore kids, and he was making trips to D.C. to recruit some D.C. kids to come and march in Bowie's band during that time period. Mm -hmm. um, so there was this one period, for example, at Bowie's homecoming in 1990 in the old stadium. I chose not to go that day, but I've heard about it repeatedly. We played Norfolk State. Norfolk came up. UDC was a guest band. Yeah, so Norfolk came up and was blowing. UDC came up and was blowing. And Bowie was there with about 80% high schoolers and only about 17 of the 40 or 45 people that marched that day were actually students at the school. The rest were high school students that were in. Bowie had some growing to do. By the end of that 91 season, it was kind of interesting. It, it was a little bit of a disappointment from where I thought we were gonna grow up to. Because when I got there, people had been used to, well, this is the way we've always done it. Well, this is the way we've, what you mean, lift your leg up higher? Well, what do you mean? And it's not like Bowie, Bowie wasn't a core style band, but they weren't quite a high stepping band either. They were just kind of there. I saw some old footage of Bowie from 1989. Someone stole my tape. Uh, the CIAA championship. <laughs> mm. And Bowie had about 18, 18, 19 instrumentalists out on the field. And they had like 30 girls with pom-poms over on the side that were part, another part of auxiliary that were doing some things and about eight or nine or 10 flags. So they've always had a small instrumental core. Yeah. So who were some of your favorite um, bands to face up against? Let's see. 91, we played Norfolk for their homecoming at mm -hmm. Old Dominion Stadium. Those first couple of years, it was those first couple of years. We just saw mostly everybody in the CIAA. We saw, we saw Norfolk. We saw. Let's see who else who came up. When you um, UDC also made another appearance in '91. No, excuse me, that was '92. But yeah, during my entire time at Bowie, my favorite groups for us to see. I loved it when we got to see Norfolk. We were we literally fanboyed when Norfolk came up, and we saw them in '91. When we fanboyed when they came up in 92, because we played under the road and then they came on and they played under the road and they played under the road. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> yeah, those were, those, those were solid bands, yeah. Those were very solid bands. Mm -hmm. And they were, they were small too. And, mm -hmm. everyone, and as everyone knows, historically, a small Spartan Legion is a dangerous Spartan Legion. Mm -hmm. And they were actually nice to us because they already knew that they had us outclassed. <laughs> well, come on, really? You saying that like that? <laughs> we did not have a fully established program, but the very fact that we didn't stand back and we, we didn't stand back and back off and just kind of cower in a corner, they actually respected us a little bit. Which yeah, I can appreciate I, that. I can definitely I, appreciate that. Yeah, which I found out about later as we started communicating between different programs. That also helped build the confidence of the people who were at the program. Our 92 year 
my, which was my second year at Bowie, 92 was the year that we actually started to look like an HBCU band. We had people from DC who came up to, who came into the school. We had some more people from Baltimore who came down and the numbers grew a little bit. We had like a nice little 30 something piece group on the field, uh, pushing up into the forties, which was one of the largest programs at that time that we had had. And we actually played a whole lot of, the music got better. Um, not just my arrangements of the stuff, but just generally picking what we were going to do, what we were going to do, dance routines, and a whole bunch of other things. We started to look more like an HBCU band. Let me ask you this. Mm-hmm. Did you, do you feel that your experience at Bowie, being that it was such a small band, do you think it was like comparable, the, the family feel of it? Do you feel like it was comparable to your high school experience? Yes, Absolutely. It took a little while for me to become integrated into what was already there, which is normally the case with freshmen anyway. Some people, you know, some freshmen walk in and it's immediately, you're family. And then there's some people who walk in, they're like, you're kind of weird. But, you know, we'll we'll tolerate you for a little while. And the next thing you know, it's like, oh, yeah, it's you. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so let's talk about your arranging. So when were you able to arrange for Bowie as early as your sophomore year, freshman year? When did you start doing that? My freshman year, I managed to get a couple of pieces in. Not that many because we were borrowing arrangements. At that time, Bowie was busy borrowing arrangements, the majority of them from wherever they could grab arrangements from. So Dr. Knight is a Howard graduate. I know in our 92, I know our 92 year, we were playing Howard's arrangement of Vibe. The 91 year, they tried to give us Howard's arrangement of I don't want to lose your love and also Motown Philly, but we didn't have the trumpets to actually pull that off. We actually didn't have the whole instrumentation to pull that off the way it could have been done. But we found some arrangements from here, there and everywhere. And I managed to get one or two of my things in in 91. 92, I got more stuff in. One of my proudest moments is The Best Things in Life for Free by Janet and Luther. That was one of my that was one of my favorite arrangements up to that time. And I still remember it now. I was going to ask you what some of your favorite arrangements were. That's one of them right there. 93 was a pivotal year. 93 for band camp. I stayed up 43 hours during the week of band camp straight. I wrote at that time without finale and without pieware. I wrote our first, our two primary halftime shows. Cause back then you could get away with not doing a whole lot of shows and we didn't travel that much. So mm-hmm. we were straight. But I wrote two shows during during band camp, arranged all of the music from scratch, as in wrote out all of the score on score paper and then hand wrote every single part out over the course of, um, yeah, it was about, it was 43 hours. I remember because I always, I always refer back to it. And that's- this, First of all, you are insane. Let me just say that. <laughs> <laughs> Even in my prime college years, I couldn't stay up for 43 hours straight. But, I, you know, I'm just really- glad to hear about like the passion that you have for that program and for arranging and whatnot um can you tell me some more about like the other hats you wore because you ended up finishing at Bowie state a little later right or you you got your bachelor's degree just a little bit a little bit later but it's all good it's all good so what other kind of hats did you wear because you were on how, how long were you on staff at Bowie? okay so let's back up slightly as of 93 i be 93 i was unofficially not on paper but in practice i was the head arranger 93 
head arranger slash student director in 93, 94, 95. As a matter of fact, if you look up the petitioning documents for Kappa Kappa Psi for the Ada Chi chapter, you'll see my name listed in there as the student band director during that year, which, you know, I kind of look back at it now and I'm like, wow, they actually did write me down in here. Cool. I'm actually yeah. in the history. Yay. Yeah, finally. Full circle. Full circle. <laughs> but, um, which for those who already know, I was made an honorary member of the Ada Chi chapter in 2018. Yes, that's what so, I was saying. It was full it, circle. <laughs> it came all the way back around. But mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. student arranger, drill writer, who, uh, what was it, liaison? What was it? A staff student liaison. I was still arranging. I was still teaching my arrangements. I was still writing drills. I was announcing. Um, and then I was communicating the needs of the students to the staff and vice versa. And yeah, that was that. Interestingly, we slowly the program started to grow and gather more students over the years. 94, our numbers went up some more to right near the 50s. 95, I do remember specifically we had 54 people because I wrote a drill for 54 people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, 96, the numbers went down slightly, but each year the musicianship got a little bit better with the group. 97, we had two trombones that sounded like seven, and um, one of them is now the instrumental music supervisor for Prince George's County, and he okay. also plays with the Redskins band. The other one, you mean the know. Washington football team band? <laughs> uh, I'm sorry, the Washington football team band. <laughs> Shout out to Lionel Harrell. <laughs> But um, after 97, I actually took a little bit of a break from school, spring of 98 through all of through the beginning of 99, I was off from Bowie State University, busy trying to do a couple of other things. It was the fall of 1998. I heard Morgan State University's homecoming being broadcast over WEAA. And I said to myself, wow, I miss band because I drug my feet on getting my music degree done. I took a bunch of extra classes outside of my major. I graduated from Bowie with 178 credits. Wow. And we all know you only need 120 to graduate. 120, yeah, ooh. Well, see, I have a whole bunch in computer graphics and I also have stuff, just random other classes that I was like, this looks interesting. And my uh, advisor just signed off on it, said, okay, you want to take it here? So I don't know how I feel about that, being that I used to work as an academic advisor. I feel some kind of way about them just signing off on your stuff, but okay. Uh, yeah, uh, but my same, that same academic advisor also talked the university in and said, um, hey, I know the music education program got cut back at the end of 94, but we still have this one boy floating around here who we didn't manage, who uh, University of Maryland didn't manage to trick into transferring. So we got to give him his degree. So mm-hmm. these are the classes he's going to take to get out of here. And that was what I did. So I ended up being the last music ed major to graduate from Bowie State University. So you're like a whole trivia question. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So let's talk about what you did after you, what what, what was next for you? So you were, because I know you ended up finishing, I forgot what year it was, but I I know it was a little later. Oh, one. Okay. Oh, oh, one. Okay. So what did you do after one? Did you instantly start going into band director positions? Were you like at an elementary school, middle school? High school. Let me okay. give you a, let me give you a little bit of, of uh, context as well. When I finally made it back <laughs> into uh, Bowie State University, um, I think I, I mentioned the Morgan State homecoming, hearing it and missing band in February of 1999. You know where this is going. <laughs> 
February of 1999, member number 221 of the fifth quarter. You signed have to up. Yes, I do. As a matter of fact, let me back up a little bit. When Jackson State used to have their guest book page called The Ranks, I posted mm-hmm. on there a few times. No, my page was called The Ranks. Jackson State's guest book was on the Jackson was on the Boone's website. Okay, so yours was okay, so the ranks was mine, mine okay. was separate. Mine was like on a free tripod. I posted I know I posted on Jackson State's page and I think I posted on the ranks a couple times as well. Mm-hmm. But February of matter of fact, whoa, hold up. Oh my goodness. It literally is almost, let's see, 99 to now. Would that be 22? It's 22 years and two days to the day that I post to the day that I posted on the fifth quarter. That is insane that you remember the (laughs) day. I can barely remember January 19th, which was when it went live. Okay. Wow. Okay. 22 years and two days. So I've known you that long. And it was between you and Everett Martin. The fifth quarter actually renewed and brought back my whole love for band the way it was supposed to be and your the, the fifth quarter actually provided some of the motivation I needed in order for me to get myself back into school. I went in the spring of 99 and talked to Adolph Wright who had taken over the program as of uh, fall of 98 right after Howard University's third game he left and came over to Bowie and started restructuring the program and fall of 99 I rolled in there and He started putting me to work immediately. He gave me the opportunity to arrange even more than I had done before. Let me stick another note in there. And this all leads into what happened after I graduated. Okay. (laughs) So between meeting people on the fifth quarter, shout out to Charles Jemison. CJ (laughs) sent me the Alabama A&M 98 season tape. And I think the 96 and 97 season tape. And I started arranging differently as a result of that, because prior to that, I used to arrange the way Melvin Miles did, because I learned how to arrange better listening to him. Now I started arranging differently. So that sound that Bowie State came smashing up the CIAA with in 99 and 2000, all the way up until 2004 and 5, that came as a result of me listening to Alabama A&M, and then all of my arrangements started bending in that direction. Bowie had about 128 songs in the repertoire as of 2002, and somewhere in the neighborhood of about 34 of those were things that I wrote, most of them during the 99 season and some during the 2000 season. That's a lot. Yeah, uh, the good things coming out of that were I learned how to write music faster, much Mm -hmm. faster. I learned how to orchestrate differently. And I also learned one thing, one big thing is Adolph Wright gave me a lot of the administrative work in the program to handle. So I functioned as the assistant band director and then was the assistant band director um, for a period in 2001 until I passed my praxis exam, finished up and got out of Bowie. So Um, that's a lot of really valuable experience. I mean, you can't beat that. Nope. A lot of people who go out for student teaching, for example, they've had none of the administrative experience on how to handle a program. They haven't done any of that stuff. When Winston-Salem came up to us in 2000 and all of the eating, I did all the eating arrangements, the hotel and some of the other logistical things for the university. And when some of the other schools were coming up, um, like when Livingstone came up to us in 99, I was the one who handled all of the hotel and information and everything to give to their director in order for them to be set. After I graduated, I went to teach at Central High School in Prince George's County. Central had a nominal band program at the time. They kept on struggling to keep a director there. And part of that was that the program was a combination of band and choir, which to me was weird. 
unless you count the fact that when I did my student teaching, I did half of my student teaching for band and the other half was for choir, which I originally didn't expect to do. But Dr. Knight said, you never know what kind of job you're going to get when you graduate. So I took that, did my student teaching in that. And next thing you know, I'm teaching band and choir as soon as wow. I graduate. So you have high school experience and you have middle school because I, I feel like I'm, I know you being at a middle school or you're middle school now, right? No, I'm at a high school again. Okay. I, I taught at Central for four years, uh, 10 years at after that, it was 10 years at Thomas Johnson Middle School. Now yeah, I'm that's at, what I remember, Thomas Johnson. Right, and now I'm at Duval High School, and I've been there. This is actually year number six. Are you the department head, I want to say? I am. Okay, okay. Cool, so what's that like? <laughs> <laughs> looking out for, it's looking out for the needs of others in your department and making sure that they don't get ran over by the administration, as well as looking out for yourself, making sure everything's coordinated properly and making sure that you communicate with people. Okay, so what what kind of things do you think um, Bowie taught you that you take into your job every day? Bowie State University taught me how to survive and how to make the most of the resources that you have. I hear folks from other schools struggling like, how am I gonna do this? I don't have any of this, I don't have any of that. And I'm like, oh shoot, when we were at Bowie, we ain't had X, Y, and Z. We had this one dude over here who could make a snare drum sound crisp and clean out of a piece of toilet paper and a toilet paper tube. Come on now. <laughs> if we can do that with no budget, you have a whole drum right here and all you need is something to screw in one screw. You can do that. Come on now. So I'm that person now who's, I'm the cranky old man who says, when I was your age. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Let me ask you about this. So, so Mr. Wright, you worked with him a whole lot. So what was what was his personality like? Dr. Wright is sorry, Dr. Wright. Yeah, Dr. Wright is uh don't worry, it took me a couple of years to stop saying Mr. and start saying Doctor once mm -hmm. he finished his doctorate, because he was still Mr. when I got there. Dr. Wright genuinely cares about inspiring people to be the best person that they could be. He genuinely cares about making sure that you're having fun while you're doing this. He wants you to come prepared before you step foot in there. Because when you step foot in and you're not prepared, then you catch the other side of Dr. Wright, which we've all had black college band directors. Oh yeah, everybody's so, got that side. I think that so, is a job requirement. <laughs> it's a job requirement to be able to fuss at people. Underneath of it all, he genuinely cared about the students that were in front of him and he wanted to see them be the best them that they could be. I could tell you one story where I came down to school and I was depressed um, during in the middle of the 2000 season. I was still living at home at the time and struggling to just try to get, I was in school, I was taking classes, I was doing stuff for the band, I was trying to work part-time to have a little bit of extra money in my pocket. Tuition was taken care of by the band program, but I still had, you know, just older man living at home, that sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And he told me one day, he said, your mother is never going to fully respect you until you move out and get on your own. Oh, wow. That's harsh. But I guess that's a man to man kind of thing. But you know what? It wasn't harsh the way he delivered it. And he also, I mean, this man has come out of pocket and given me money for lunch more times than I could probably count while I was down there. Mm -hmm. Even even like over the summer when we were preparing for the 2000 band camp and he was wondering about ideas 
I gave him show ideas and he ended up saying, okay, we'll use that. There were a lot of good moments with him. No, that's good. Okay. Well, I have one more question for you. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this is kind of the time of the podcast where, where you talk about like what, whatever's on your heart. So if you have any like closing thoughts or if there's anything you'd like to get across, here you go. As a high school teacher, as a high school instrumental music instructor, one of the biggest problems that we have is that there are degreed professionals who are not music majors, who make decisions about music programs, who have no idea how our music programs are supposed to be run because the only things that they saw while they were in college were marching band during football season and pep band during basketball season. Not even like Every, concert band? Not really, because a whole unfortunately too many of our schools don't push our concert band programs like they should. Mm-hmm. From, tw- from 2014, from 2012 forward, I started really putting a lot more emphasis on my own personal growth to learn what band is actually supposed to sound like. And since that time, I've had bands get straight superior ratings at state. I've had plenty of students get superior ratings at district and state. I've had my orchestras get superior ratings because I started teaching orchestra once I got over to Duval because that came with the job. We have to be a lot more serious when I say we. I'm talking about HBCUs, I'm talking about black folks in general, especially if we're at HBCUs, we have to be a lot more serious about actual music education. Because if we're not serious about music education, whether we realize it or not, no matter how entertaining your group is, you're training the audience around you about what to expect as far as music is concerned. And when that audience graduates and becomes the administrators over your program, and they say that, oh, the only thing you're doing is marching band, so you don't really need this large room. As a matter of fact, we'll just take band off of your schedule and you could just do it as an after school activity. That's how programs get destroyed. And every music educator that's listening to this right now is cringing, saying, no, you got to have, we need a classroom. What, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we all go through those issues. I hear and see them on a regular basis from colleagues. The university level, there is a trickle down effect. The university level has to, um, directors need to be a lot more serious about full orbed music education. Yes, we can have our high stepping groups out there. We can do our dance routines. We can play all of this great music, but if we don't present actual music and a varied repertoire of music, I'm so glad that Southern University and Jackson have been expanding their repertoire. Mm-hmm. FAMU's repertoire been diverse for a minute now. Been. And so when folks come out of there, they're expecting, when folks come out of there and they become educators, even if they're not music majors or musicians, they're still used to hearing bands play a whole bunch of different music, not all of the same music, not the same half note, whole note, blow as loud as you can music. So we need to be more serious about music education and educating even our non-musicians to think musically and to think about the arts in a proper way so that when they become administrators over programs and over people that they don't kill off these programs and kill off the culture well you know what you just ministered to me i felt like shouting a little bit (laughs) (laughs) it has been great talking to you as always carrie i'm so glad you were able to do this i wish we could do this longer Yeah, I know, I know, but we will after we cut this off. (laughs) 
You have listened to the HBCU Band Experience with Christy Walker. Interviews and editing conducted by yours truly, Dr. Christy Walker. The music is District 4 by Kevin McLeod. And you can find this podcast on hbcubandexperience.podbean.com. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Take care.